I hope you brought your Bible this morning. If you did, you can grab it now and open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And let me read you a paragraph out of uh, Paul's words of institution of the Lord's Supper. Famous passage, you've heard it numerous times before. I'm just reading you one paragraph out of it. Beginning at verse 23 through verse 26. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. If you've been around Grace Band very long, you know that we celebrate the Lord's Supper once a month and uh, everything gets put in the back seat, even July the 4th. While we um, concentrate on this sacrament, which is so vital to the, to the life of the church, you also know that um, numerous times when we have this, I read this same paragraph. I've used that text several times before when we've um, observed the Lord's Supper. And, and I've <clears throat> drawn attention to various parts of the paragraph. And this morning, I want to draw your attention to the last sentence in the paragraph. Um, actually, just really half of it, but it's in verse 26 for where Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What I want to do this morning is try to fill up those words with some, some meaning. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What are we saying? Or what is Paul saying? Guys, uh, one of the chief features of Old Testament justice was capital punishment. Now, I, I know that's debated, and I, I know that some of you don't agree with me with over that. I, to me, it was it settled rather succinctly in Genesis chapter nine: uh, Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. Um, in, in my mind, uh, the text is fairly clear about the provision of capital punishment. And that gets um, affirmed later on in the New Testament in Romans 13, when, when the power of the sword is uh, placed in the hands of the government. Uh, the power of the sword is, of course, the power to um, take life. However, uh, the Bible also makes a very firm distinction between premeditated murder and manslaughter. And it, and it does that in a couple of different ways. That is, it makes that distinction between premeditated murder and manslaughter. It makes that distinction in a couple of ways. For instance, the Ten Commandments. If you are under the impression that the Sixth Commandment says, Thou shalt not kill, then you really ought to go back and rethink that. Because that's not what it says. The Hebrew verb there is is one that's um, much more accurately translated, thou shalt do no murder. There's a lot of difference between murder and killing. And and if you are a, a pacifist and you have used the Sixth Commandment to establish your pacifism, you, you might want to remain a pacifist, but 
you, you shouldn't use the sixth commandment to establish it. Because the sixth commandment is not prohibiting killing. It's prohibiting murder. Vast difference between those two. The other way that the Old Testament makes this distinction between murder, premeditated murder and manslaughter, is, is just one of the sweetest and most beautiful things, I think, that's in the entire Old Testament. It's the provision of the cities of refuge. If you don't know what a city of refuge is, let, let me tell you just briefly about them. But guys, if you, um, if you don't know the story of cities of refuge in the Old Testament, spend a part of your afternoon this afternoon in, in Numbers chapter 35. It's, an, it's a remarkable thing. Well, let me tell you about them. In Israel, there were six cities of refuge. Now, imagine the country of Israel is shaped somewhat like New Jersey. Not exactly. Or maybe like California, but far smaller, but a little bit bigger than New Jersey. <clears throat> and dissecting the country almost in half is a river. The River Jordan. Uh, at, at its north end, there's the sea called Galilee, where all the fish were caught. And then on the, on the southern end, there's the Dead Sea where nothing lives. And connecting those two bodies of water is the, the Jordan River. And so basically, Israel was divided in two halves, the east and the west. You know, we have the north and the south. Well, they had the east and the west. Well, there were three cities of refuge on both sides of that river. There was one in the north, there was one in the south, and one in the central parts of Israel on both sides of that river, a river, a total of six cities of refuge. Now, now people lived in those cities, but those cities also hosted some temporary guests, some, some visitors. And, um, let me tell you about the visitors to the cities of refuge. <clears throat> Here's what they were. Here's who they were. If you had accidentally killed somebody, the, the example that's given in the text is that you're out in the woods and you're chopping down a tree and your axe handle flies off and hits the guy next to you and kills him. If you accidentally killed someone, you could flee to one of these cities of refuge. That's why they were so um, strategically placed, north, south, central, both sides of the river, so that you could get to one quickly and easily. Because if you killed somebody, their next of kin could become a, an avenger of blood and take your life. But you could run to, you could flee to a city of refuge and there you would be safe. That is, you would, you would be safe while you awaited trial. When you stood trial and it was determined by the city officials that you were not guilty of murder... You were given permission to stay in those cities of refuge, completely protected by the law. No one could harm you. And then there were two additional and further provisions. Number one, you were only safe, you were only protected as long as you stayed inside the city limits. If you left the city of limits, city, city limits, you were then vulnerable. The, the avenger of blood could overtake you. But if you stayed inside the city limits, you were fine. But there was one more provision, and it was this. 
you were free to leave the, the, the city of refuge and go back to your hometown and resume life as you knew it when, upon the occasion of, the death of the high priest. Now, you know what the high priest was in Israel, don't you? I mean, they had pre- they got Levites and they got priests and they got the high priest. The high priest was the guy that, it wasn't but one of them. And, um, I mean, per... For a lifetime, I guess. But, uh, the, the high priest is the guy that went back in the holiest of holies and did all that stuff back there. And if you were appointed the high priest, you were the high priest for the life, for your lifetime. But of course, high priest didn't live forever and they died. And when one of them died, all of these people, this handful of people that were living in each city of refuge and who were there because they had killed someone accidentally. They were a manslayer. Once the high priest died, you were then free to go. Your debt to society was considered paid in full. You were liberated. You were set free. Your life could start over again. You had a fresh start on life upon the death of the high priest. Now, of course, there was some lag time between the death of the high priest, which was normally in Jerusalem, some lag time between the time he died and that news traveling to the cities of refuge. Because somebody had to go there. Somebody had to, um, you know, take the news to the city of refuge. And so <clears throat> they, they, would, they would appoint heralds, announcers, broadcasters who would go to the cities of refuge and say, the high priest has died. And for many in the city of the refuge, that would be very mournful news. But for a handful of people who lived in those cities of refuge, the news couldn't have been better. The death of the high priest meant that they were free. They were liberated. It was, it was their ticket out. Because at that point, their debt to society has been paid. When the high priest died. Now, fast forward with me just a little bit to the New Testament. And you do know, do you not, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, chapter 10, Jesus Christ is called our high priest. And when he died, the death certificate created because of my sin that hung over me, is now ripped to shreds. That debt, not to society, but to God that I owed because of my sin, that is now stamped, paid in full. Because, because of the death of the high priest, our high priest, we are set free liberated. We can start over. 
It's a whole new life. This is not mournful news. This is glorious news. Thy priest has died. Now, if you look again at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, it says this. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <laughs> you know what, guys? You know what we're doing today? One of the things that we're doing? We're preaching the gospel to each other. You're receiving, we're receiving something in, in the administration of the sacrament, yes. But we're also, we're also declaring something. We're declaring the Lord's death. We're declaring the fact that the high priest has died. And because he has, sin is forgiven and I'm set free. My friend, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. But if you would like to hear the gospel preached, here's what I suggest you do. Just look around the room. Just watch everybody take these things. And what they're doing is proclaiming. They are proclaiming the gospel. And that gospel being that as a result of the death of the high priest in my place, my sin is forgiven. I can start over. It's a whole new life. I'm set free. My debt is paid. That, my friend, is what's going on here as we participate in this sacrament. That's good news. Let's pray. Our Father, I do pray that you will uh, remind us what's being done and what's being said symbolically as we participate in the sacrament. I pray that you will um, help us to fully appreciate and grasp that this is not some empty ritual. This is not the Sunday that the sermon is shorter, hallelujah. It's the Sunday where we proclaim something that the high priest has died the perfect high priest after the order of Melchizedek has died in our place and we as guilty people have been set free. We're, we're forgiven. We're liberated. We have freedom and freedom indeed because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, meet us here, Lord, and inspire us all over again the great good news of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name.